0: Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.
2: The Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio.
3: Good morning. Thank you for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Shaleos, Ton Bettis with you this morning. We are taking your calls at 801 575 8255. You can also text us your questions at 57500. Next listener, Ton, would like to know what is a recommended variety of artichoke for Utah County and what tips do you have for growing them from seed?
4: Well, the recommended varieties are oftentimes what you can find in local garden centers. But they're not hard to grow, but you, what will happen is you'll want to get them as early as possible in when danger of frost is gone. So that's usually sometime mid May. But what I like to do personally is plant them in mid to late April and put protection over them, like a wall of water or a low tunnel or even a small cold frame, get them going in there that a month ahead because that greatly increases the yield you will have later on.
3: So it looks like, though, they would like to plant these from seed.
4: Ah, uh, boy, I don't know if I would because they take so long to produce the flower stalks that we actually eat that they may not get anything. And so they need to be started in, if they do seed, they use seed, they need to be started soon so that they can get to an out size outdoors because they can require from seed 180, 200 days to get those flower heads. And so by the time they even started to form anything, we probably would have frost. And that's why, we are you know buying them already started from garden centers or starting them on our own, and then putting the winter the early season protection on them because we need to force them as much as possible so that we can get the flower heads in time now at the end of the season, once they 've been hit by hard frost, you dig the base of the plant out of the ground, and so there will be a big crown there. Mm-hmm. And you put them into boxes with sawdust or potting soil that's just barely moist, and then put that into a basement where they're around 50 or 55 degrees. And then you would put those back outside late April to mid May, depending on if you're putting protection over the top of them to regrow them.
3: Is there a recommended variety, though? Is there something? Well, that you would I would
4: recommend? have to look at USU's fact sheets and then they can look those up. I don't know off the top of my head, it's such an uncommon crop for Utah. You know, it's not you know, tomatoes you can rattle off fifteen or twenty varieties, but artichokes, I would look at USU's fact sheet on artichokes. It probably recommends a few, but really unless you're ordering seed online, you're, you're just gonna have to use what local garden centers
3: have. So if you type in USU and artichokes, you're gonna find that pretty easily it will come up, yes. Okay. Uh, Back to our phone lines. Patricia is in Taylorsville. Good morning, Patricia. What is your question?
1: I have a big Christmas cactus. It did not bloom this year. And I've noticed that some of the leaves are starting to wither and fall off. I don't know what to do about that.
4: How long have you had it?
1: Oh, maybe four years.
4: Okay. And how much water is it getting? Maybe once a week. Okay. And are you sticking your finger into the soil to make sure that it needs watered? Yes. We're getting a little bit of echo. Are we on speakerphone? No. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. The uh, So you're going to need to check and make sure that it has dried out because during the winter, those Christmas cactus can go sometimes up to two or three weeks without water. If they're in a heavier soil, I don't recommend going that long, usually about every 10 days. And so if the tips are falling off is, has it been exposed? Is it near a heat vent or anything of that nature? Not really. Okay. And then is it next to a window that is touching the window that the tips could have frozen? It isn't. Okay, the, the, the only thing, I'm trying to eliminate all the possibilities, and it sounds like there may be a disease either in the leaf tips or in the soil. What I'd recommend doing is cutting back the infected tips to healthy and need to be in a off to the side of a south or west window is where they're happiest.
0: Okay.
1: And All another right.
3: thing, Patricia, I know that when mine stopped blooming, one of the problems is it needed to be repotted. And the minute I repotted the plant, it started, it bloomed again. So that might be something to consider as well.
1: I usually put it outside in the summer yeah, on, a north, th- on a north patio and then bring it in just before it, there's frost. And then it bursts into bud, but I didn't put it out this year. Is That,
4: that could be that it's lacking energy to blossom if it wasn't taken outside.
3: Okay. All right, Patricia. Patricia. Thanks so much for your call this morning. Uh, Next listener, Ton, is Curtis. Curtis wants to know what you think about the new grass that Salt Lake is promoting uh, for their trade-out for your sod program.
4: I think it's a good blend if you can get a hold of it. It's been limited a little bit in supply, but it's been developed so that it fills and acts like regular lawn, but it uses at least a third less water to stay green. And it's one that Kelly Cope, who was a frequent guest on our show up at USU, our turf specialist, helped develop. And it's been very successful. And so if you can get a hold of it, I would recommend it.
3: All right. Roger is in Spanish Fork. Good morning, Roger. This is where
2: the tips started to go black. And it looks like it spread a little bit. Um, I put some fungicide uh, on it uh, last fall. Uh, I don't know whether that's had an effect, but I went out and looked at it, and there's new gr- the new stuff coming up underneath is nice and green, but the tips are still black.
4: Well, I, I mean, right now I'd ex- maybe you know it should be. Halfway dormant, a little bit of green, a lot of brown in it. And right now isn't a good time to be judging if anything worked. And you're going to have to wait for spring to see if that fungicide did any good. And I'm I'm wondering maybe if you had a bit of rust in there. That can be really common when we start to get cool at night. But what I would do is wait for spring and let it turn green again in May. And if it's still showing up cut some samples out and mail them up to USU campus. And so you can go online and just search USU Pest Lab and it'll give you some instructions on how to submit a sample. But I would send a sample up and let their diagnosticians go through it because they're going to be able to usually tell if there is a disease in it.
2: Okay. All right. Now, I will admit that I found out that if I put ammonium sulfate on, on a... You know, like twice a month, I cut my water usage back down or significantly, like two-thirds. But I don't know whether that's a very good practice. (laughs) Well, ammonium sulfate, how much are you putting down?
4: About the half application every two weeks. I would cease that immediately because you're eventually going to make your soil so salty that it's going to kill the grass. Okay. Or it's going to grow so darn fast that it'll be almost like a golden corral for lawn grubs because it's growing so quickly that it has no way to produce defensive chemicals to defend itself. And so if you wanted to do half applications, what you would do is get a fertilizer schedule. And if you're, say, three times a year, go ahead and put a half application down and then a month or six weeks later, do it again. But you want a good four to six weeks between applications.
2: Okay, I think, uh, you know, that could be a, a significant problem. It was just last year, and it worked yeah, pretty Yeah, and a few soil.
4: applications won't harm anything, but if you were to keep that up for a year or two years, it would eventually make your soil so salty that the grass would really struggle. Okay, good.
3: Okay, thank you. Thanks, Roger, for your call this morning. Next listener wants to know, is it too late to put winterizer on their lawn?
4: Yeah, I... Right now, there's no reason to be fertilizing. What I would do if they're not going to do a pre-emergent is just go ahead and wait until late April to mid-May. Mm-hmm. If they're doing a pre-emergent, those oftentimes have fertilizer bundled with it and then just get that down in early to mid-April.
3: Next question. When to prune asparagus and do you fertilize them?
4: Uh, the asparagus, you... I want to get established for at least three years before you really start harvesting it and you can do a light application. So what you're going to do is those spears will come up and you can keep harvesting until you see the spears getting about the width of a pencil. When they're the width of a pencil, you stop and then you can do a light fertilization and keep it irrigated, you know, weekly through the summer and then do that process
3: again. All right. Number to call with your questions 801 575 8255. You can text us 57500.
2: I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office to meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as
4: anyone
1: else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed.
2: That's the new Cold Season 3 The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.
3: Good morning. Thanks for joining us for the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you this morning. Number to call with your questions 801-575-8255. You can text us 57500. Next listener wants to know when should they prune their fruit fruit trees and when do they start spraying them for the season?
4: So the fruit trees need to be pruned starting in mid-February. That would be apples and pears and then March for everything else. So those are the pruning or the yeah, the pruning dates and then the spray schedule what I would look up is the USU Pest Lab and then just USU Pest Lab uh, fruit updates. And what you will happen is you'll subscribe to those and they will tell you down to the day when you need to start spraying. And so instead of me, you know, saying, oh, usually around here, because it varies every year. If you subscribe to, the, subscribe to the Pest Lab updates, they will tell you because the weather conditions make it so different. And so some years, if we are extra cold, it could be mid-April, but other years, if we are warm, it could be as soon as like mid to late March. And so subscribe to those. The other thing they can do, and if they Google USU and Home Orchard Pest Management Guide, So USU and Home Orchard Pest Management Guide, it'll bring up a downloadable PDF and it shows you when to start spraying by bud stages. And so you can look at the pictures and say, oh, they're at that stage, it's time. And so that's the plan B, but I would just let USU tell you when to do it. And that's the USU Pest Lab Fruit Updates, and they'll just do it for you, at least tell you when, and you can choose either the organic or non-organic options.
3: All right, Nixon, sir, uh says they've always had issues growing seeds. Uh, they did make a raised bed from wood, and they want to know if they could go ahead and make some sort of cover for it to start their seeds now with the appropriate plant.
4: So they have a wooden tray they've built?
3: No, it, looks like, it sounds like they did this outside. Okay. And they're wondering, so they have this raised bed that they just put together from wood, and they're wondering if they can start seeds outside now if they come up with a cover for it.
4: No, it's probably still too early. They would need a heat source in there, and so unless they put, the cables, like the heating cables in there. Mm-hmm. They definitely could then if they had heating cables. But those can cost forty or forty five dollars for a length of like six feet. Oh. That they could snake back and forth. The time you can really start seeds outside even you still need some protection for the seed is mid March. And so then they would need to come up for a, a cover with some, some sort of plexiglass top. And if it gets cold, they may need to go out there with something to cover that, you know, like, Folded up blanket and a plastic bag or something to give it a little extra insulation. But mid March, if you're just wanting to leave things to the elements with just passive protection, is as soon as I would get out there.
3: Yeah, you might want to check out the video we did on low tunnels last year up at the botanical. Yes,
4: Sheridan's actually in the building, and we could talk more about that. But share, we did an extensive video of uh, how to start these things and different sorts of protection you can offer plants from inexpensive to a little bit bigger and for the serious hobbyist.
3: Easiest place to find that is on our YouTube channel, KSL Greenhouse. You can find it on our Facebook page. Uh, You'll have to scroll through the videos, though, to find it there. Uh, We have a call from Laurel in Kaysville. Good morning, Laurel. What can we help you with?
1: Good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Um, First-time gardener and also grad student don't go well together. Um, so I noticed powdery mildew and I attempted to treat that with, um, just a vinegar water solution that I'd found online and then grad school kicked in. Anyhow, everything died. And I'm wondering if I can just go take out, you know, dead roots and everything, um, or do I need to do something to the soil for next year's planting?
4: Well, uh, the powdery mildew is not soil borne. And so you're fine there. I would get rid of all the old plant material. Um, okay. You do, by the way, have a very horticulture and botany based name, Laurel. I really like it. <laughs> your right, name so, fits so into I your have hobby.
1: off. Exactly, but I shouldn't have killed them off, right? So it's okay. I'll learn. I'll get there.
4: Yeah. And so, so um, go ahead.
1: Oh, is there anything I can do to prevent that next year? It was mostly like the squash and um, peas. That
4: so, that what I would do is get online and search for. For powdery mildew-resistant squash, okay. and there's a number of varieties out there. You know, especially pumpkins, but other varieties. But you may need to buy the seed online, and that will probably buy you between four and six weeks. Now, where you're growing your plants, is it especially like protected from the wind and still, or what's going on with that?
1: Um, not really. It's just um, kind of up against like one side of it. It's a it's a raised bed just kind of by our shed and then it's surrounded by a fence to keep our dogs out. Okay, so, so
4: the fence may be protecting it a bit the, okay. from wind. And then are you using overhead sprinklers or drip or how are you irrigating?
1: Nope, that's after grad school. We can really escape. Um, but just, I just go out and water.
4: Hand water? Like with the hose. Okay, so try to avoid getting a lot of water on the tops of the plants because powdery mildew is airborne and it drifts into the wind and lands on your plants. And so the other thing that you could look at is the plants may be a little too close together and so it can just hop really easily as it it rains or you irrigate and spread spores that way. And so on your peas, I would maybe plant them in an area that they can get some air circulation that will help and then make sure that when you water them maybe get a water wand you know head over to like J&J or Valley Nursery and they have these DRAM water wands and then just water them you know when they're really young you're going to have to water over the top but as they get older and that 18 inches two feet tall see if you can just water them from the base.
1: Okay you guys are amazing that sounds like I will have a better yeah. harvest
4: next year. I, so. Maria and I have both done grad school, and we don't really. <laughs> we in, know how crazy yes, that is, and yes. it's one I of those, never slept. Yeah, so I are surprised yes. you're still gardening <laughs> being in grad school. So thanks, Maril. Well, no, that,
1: that's why. That's why it died. But next year will be good. So good. thank you both so much. You're Love welcome. The okay, have a great day. Care,
3: care. Uh, next listener, Ton says they live in Garland. They have a silver leaf maple that they're going to take out, and they're wondering if it's okay to plant a Royal Raindrops crabapple in that same place. Do you recommend it for the Garland area? This absolutely.
4: Is it. I've planted Royal Raindrops in Logan, Hyde Park, in Santa Quin. We have them in Kaysville, and Garland is an absolutely appropriate place. I'm a little. Bias because it's one of my favorite trees, but yeah. it tolerates clay soil, cold weather. It should be just fine.
3: Okay. Under a minute here left till the top of the hour news, but Ton, do you need to replace the soil in in boxes? Every
4: two to three years, probably every three years, I would replace it. We can talk a little more about this at the top of the hour, but if they're using a straight commercial mix, I would replace it every three years.
3: Okay. And when we come back, following the top of the hour news, we do have Sheridan Hatson with us. And she's going to talk about uh, where she gets her seeds, where she... Which catalogs she chooses to buy her seeds. And you were saying you're the practical one, but Sheridan's the one that picks all the unique, fun stuff. Very to plant.
4: artistic and fun. So, yes, it's we are very contrasted when in our purchasing habits. So,
3: so stay with us. A number to call us 801 575 8255. Text us at 57500.
1: It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison.
4: Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up.